Good morning, it's Corey Bielek. I'm CEO for Kanalaski Uranium. We've got a brand new discovery in the Athabasca Basin of Canada, just a few months old, and we're going to be drilling in five weeks' time. Pleasure to be here, Merlin. Corey, good to see you. Christmas time almost uh, in the UK, uh, and you've been on a European tour, I understand. You know, you've been uh, uh, around the houses. Uh, tell me, what, 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 what have you been up to? Well, we've been uh, trying to find new investors and touch old investors that have been, us, been in us uh, over the years. And um, yeah, we thought it was time to get out, tell the story. We've got a brand new discovery. It's only a few months old, and we want to make sure people know about it and are following us in a few weeks' time. And the markets are pretty, they've been pretty tough, haven't they? You know, it's been a pretty tough year across the resources space. Um, I'm hearing there's a kind of a little bit of a bit more interest coming back in, particularly in, in a few kind of select metals. Um, how has your reception been? You know, have you, did you have good meetings, um, response times, any particular interest in uranium above other metals? Uh, how's it been? Actually, it's been very good, Merlin. We, we had a lot of interest in uranium, and I would say that in the last few weeks, uh, particularly last week or so, we've had some really great interest in uranium, and uh, that's been a really good, I think, understanding for us in, in the European scene, because uh, we're looking for new investors. We've got a hot, uh, hot topic right now in terms of our discovery, and um, the support that we're seeing has been really strong, and um, we're looking forward to you know, getting back at it soon. And uh, what's the difference between the, the, the European model and the, the North American model? You know, how, do you have to treat European uh, investors differently? Is it over a lunch? Do you have to do it over a kind of a croissant or a kind of glass of wine? Or, you know, what's the difference between the North Americans and the, the Europeans? Yeah, sure. There, there is a little bit of a difference. I would say in, in Europe, you need to have conversations and meetings first and get to know each other more like an introduction. And then maybe on the second or third time through, you might actually start to uh, to connect in terms of uh, of investment. So you know, this was a trip just to bring awareness to the Ken Alaska story, which is new, and we haven't been through here in a while. So we generally do that over lunches, and it worked out very well for us. If you can get in front of ten to thirty quality investors or investment groups that really understand uranium or want to learn more about uranium, um, that's that's the way I believe to to pursue things in Europe. And you know, the conversations we had. Just fantastic conversations. We had, you know, we had questions for an hour after every lunch, and that's uh, that can be rare. And I would say that was a strong point from last week. Good. So um, hopefully not just there for the lunch, but actually going to be buying this. <laughs> well, you know, actually going to be buying, but you know, I, I would say given the level of questions and mm -hmm. the actual quality of those questions. Yeah. There was genuine interest. It wasn't there just for the meal or the wine. It was about learning the Can Alaska story and the uranium space. And um, almost every CEO I speak to will say kind of copper or gold or whatever their metal is, is you know, it's, it's getting interest again. Why, what makes you think uranium is kind of on the move or it's going to be a good year next year? You know, what, what are, you, what are your um, reading of the tea leaves? What are the, the signs that point to a kind of an ongoing strength in the uranium market for you? Well, for me, I think it's, it's this whole you know, environmental aspect to it all. We've got to make a change for society globally and we've got to clean up energy production. And I think nuclear just has to be a larger part of that. And you know, where I first really saw that was, um, in particular, was in September at the WNA, where they started talking about having to double the current nuclear fleet, possibly even quadruple the current nuclear fleet to reach the goals of 2050. And you can't start that in 2049. It truly has to be starting today. Yeah. And I think that was a real, you know, a real eye-opener for me in terms of, you no, know, this, 
the, the support for this is, is is very strong. And then and then of course you're layering in, you know, everything new that uh, that is the small modular reactors. And, and I think that's a big part of the story. And that these things are really being built. Um, they are not fantasy like they were maybe two years ago. This is reality. And I mean, even in Canada, in, in six years' time, we're going to have. 300 megawatts of new SMR power production at the Darlington plants in Ontario by 2028. Mm. And um, from decision to first power is six years. I mean, that's almost unheard of in the nuclear space historically. And, uh, and it's happening. It's real. And um, you kind of public awareness, in a sense, we're starting from a really, really low base, aren't we? Because, I mean, even at COP27, there was barely any mention of nuclear. And yet nuclear has been um, classified as green energy by the EU and uh, other countries are kind of getting the act together, but there's so much more awareness that can be made of uranium and the, the safety and the benefits of nuclear power. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, I think that awareness is, is there, but it's also growing. And um, I think it's growing into a new audience. You know, the, maybe the past non-supporters of nuclear are actually coming around and they're becoming one of the biggest proponents of nuclear because we can't do it by 2050 with anything but more nuclear as part of that mix. Will there be wind and solar added to that? Absolutely. But we're talking baseload energy. And cheap energy allows societies to do all sorts of good things. Oh, I'm, I'm a complete believer, you know. Um, every uh, element of progress in, in civilization has been backed up by abundant energy um, and affordable energy. Absolutely. Um, right, moving from the downstream to the upstream. Uh, just can you give remind um, the audience of um, your background because you talk about uh, this new discovery um, and just kind of how do you know that it's a discovery and and what's your heritage you know what what's your give me kind of a remind me of your credentials please yeah yeah that's that's good Merlin um, I've been in this business for thirty years. 30 years from exploration to mining to business development to uh, running overseas offices, primarily for the big players such as Arano, where I started my career, and then Uraners, a big German firm uh, that, that made some of the first discoveries in the Athabasca base, and I spent a number of years there, and then over 20 years proper with Cameco Corporation. And, uh, and following that, I've joined Can Alaska. So I've, I've got 30 years really in the Athabasca, certainly in the uranium space globally, and uh, I've been able to bring in team members, ex-Chemical, ex-Arano team members to build the team in the last 12 months. And building that right team has resulted in this brand new discovery. Like the credentials coming out of these big companies and how they explore free uranium are just second to none. And but, uh, you, you're a geologist. I am um, a geologist by trade. And, and you, you've, you've done exploration programs in the Athabasca. Absolutely. Yeah, on the team there's 140 years of experience, uh, myself 30 years of that 140, and multiple discoveries or parts of discoveries. So, you know, we know what we're looking for, and, uh, and being a chief mine geologist myself for five years, uh, working underground at uh, Chemicals Eagle Point operation, you get very intimate with these deposits in the basement in particular, and you understand what these mineralizing events look like in and around some of these big 200 to 300 million pound deposits that are in the Athabasca. So, you know, it's a bit of a unique experience, yeah. you know, making discoveries, then actually going and mining on that discovery and, and realizing that, okay, that's what it really looks like. And I think that's, that's one of the learnings I had in my career is that, you know, um, 
these things have a, a character to them. They have a look. They have a smell. Well, I mean, and, uh, uh, and uh, after, it's special. After our last interview, um, when the t when the camera stopped, you know, when the tape stopped rolling, I was kind of asking you a whole bunch of geological questions about, you know, the alteration zone and um, how you know when you're in that. So just, I mean, I think it'd be useful just to kind of recap that. You know, how do you know when you you say you've made a discovery? Yes, you've got a couple of good drill holes, but I, in my experience, quite often the discovery hole is something that you can look back on. It's, it, you, it's only in retrospect that you can say that that was the discovery hole. But you were talking about kind of lots of signals around it, soft signals that give you confidence that you're onto something big. Yeah, yeah absolutely, Merlin. I mean, for starters, we're on a big mineralized corridor. We've already got that system hosting, you know, 70 million pounds at 8% grade. And that's owned by Cameco and Arano, just, just, just a few kilometers away. Yeah. Uh, we've continued following that up with more mineralization. And then we, we did some geophysics to change our targeting. And our very first hole along this 15-kilometer trend hit 9 meters of 2.4%. And that's impressive. Yeah. I mean, that, that is, when you put it against my knowledge and background at Eagle Point, some of the best intercepts you would find at an Eagle Point deposit. That's a 200 million pound ore body. Yeah. Um, if you look at the depths of a MacArthur River or the nearby um, Millennium deposit, which is over 100 million pounds, this is what they all look like. Those types of grades, those types of widths, the colors, the yellow, the red, the black, um, the alteration that you associate in those rocks, the bleaching, the, the, the clays, and, and, and then the peripheral chemistry. And this is all what we're seeing in and around this new mineralized zone. And we've got about five or six holes already that are mineralized and mineralized up to 25% in some of these veins. And that's, that's just classic high-grade unconforming mineralization. And then there's the smell, Merlin. The smell. And we talked about that. Yeah. And when you get into these high-grade mineralized zones, uh, you know, I have intimate experience at, at, uh, at Eagle Point with this. It smells like steamed broccoli or Brussels sprouts. So next time you're cooking, Think about that. Yeah. That's what high-grade uranium smells like. And, and I equate it to the, the deposit breathing. And when I get a call from a geologist on site going, the core shack smells, it stinks, we've got to air it out for two days, that's, that's impressive. Um, one of the distinctive, you learn as an undergraduate geologist, when you crack open dolomite, mm -hmm. it's got that sulfurous kind of egg smell. That's true. True. And so you know, it's, it's really pungent. It is. And it's one of the ways you can distinguish between limestone and dolomite. Um, and th and, th and this, is, this is very characteristic of very high-grade mineralized zones, but even you can have that smell when you're close to that big, big deposit because, it's, it's, again, it's breathing. It's, yeah. it's, it's literally breathing from that fault zone. And uh, it's an indication that you know, the alteration, the mineralization is present around you. And we believe these are some of the signposts that suggest we've got more to come. Talking about more to come, do you have any more results from the summer drilling to come? Or are you, you're, 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 they're all out? Yeah, the, the summer results are all out, but um, we're getting geared up for five weeks from now. We're gonna okay, have... and you're going into a f new drill program. How, how many meters are you drilling on that? So we've just approved through the joint venture with Cameco at West MacArthur a $10 million program, which is double year over year. And it's based on these results. It, it dictates meeting that level of investment now from our shareholders. So um, we'll be back at that uh, in five weeks' time. We're going to have two drills. Uh, one of them is going to be very focused at the unconformity target that we've yet to test. We've not tested the unconformity yet at this zone. This is all basement mineralization. And then we're going to have one rig moving out from that to try and figure out 
what the size could be. And uh, it's, it's going to be an exciting January. So you're tracking up from the basement to the unconformity zone, kind Correct. of higher and perhaps to the side or just ab above it? Uh, absolutely. So, so the work that we did this summer was focused in the basement, looking to understand the structural geometry of the mineralization because yeah. it's sitting over 100 meters below that unconformity. Okay. So it's been pointing us back to that unconformity target. And one of the last holes we drilled right close, uh, well, close, 20, 30 meters away from that unconformity is the, the hole that had the 25% uranium. And the, and and the and wider zone of mineralization. And stinky. And stinky. That was the stinky <laughs> hole. So, you know, so, so we really believe that given our experience in working on other deposits in the Athabasca Basin, some of which are Cigar Lake, Millennium, Eagle Point, uh, among others, um, this really does have all the right characteristics of one of these big tier one deposits. And, and you know, again, 100 meters below the unconformity, this is what MacArthur looks like. And so... Um, that's encouraging. So what you're might be doing is you're going to get the drill holes in. If you cut, well, when you, when you give that first news release, you'll be back on the phone to all of the European investors you've seen saying, see, I told you so, come on, pile in. Is that what you're... I won't say, I won't say, see, I told you so, <laughs> but I will bring their attention to the fact that um, we've gone out and done what we said we were going to do, and these are the results that are coming from that work. We have no idea what's at that unconformity just yet, but all the signposts look correct. So I will be reaching out and making sure that they're aware and following the progress of the company as we move this target forward. So I think that's really important. And, you know, talking to 100 different investors over the last uh, five or so days, um, that's what I want them to take away. Just watch us, pay attention. And if you choose to invest, um, great. If not, um, I'm going to keep you updated on, on our progress. It's funny, isn't it? When, you, when you've got a hot sector, you get a whole bunch of new companies come up with the, with the sector and the, something uranium or uranium this and that. Um, <clears throat> and a lot of that is kind of bandwagon stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think what investors need to do is differentiate between those who are perhaps more in the entertainment business um, and those which are actually looking for a deposit. And by the sounds of it, you're pretty confident that you're, uh, well, you are delivering results through drilling and actual kind of um, uh, intercepts, but uh, hopefully it'll take it all the way to an economic deposit. Well, I mean, that's the goal. I mean, our goal is to, um, to make a discovery for our shareholders, drive up that value and, and exit at some point that makes sense. We're in, not in the business of producing uranium. We're in the business of making discoveries. Yeah. And uh, I believe in the last 12 months, we've built the team that, A, has a track record of discovery, significant discovery in the Athabasca Basin. And literally within 12 months of putting this team together, or at least starting to, we've made this discovery. And it's through their good work, their excellent work, and their knowledge base from Murano and Cameco and, and everything that they bring to the table, um, I think our shareholders are in good hands. I really do. And uh, I think the results will speak for themselves. And um, I, really, I really hope people stay tuned to our story. Well, good. And um, I look forward to seeing the, 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 the next drilling program underway and the, and the next round of results. Well, absolutely, Merlin. And I look forward to talking to you again with uh, even more results in hand. <laughs> And, 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 you know, if we're right, uh, we're into a system that looks like Cigar or MacArthur, and um, it could be really special and a game changer. So, uh, you know, stay tuned. Good. Well, you'll be having a, um, a pretty relaxed Christmas this year. You're in a good space, I think. <laughs> there's no relaxation, Merlin. We're drilling second week of January with two rigs on this target. Uh, there's no sleep over Christmas. Um, let's just get at it. Good stuff. See you again. Thanks, Merlin.